No, I don't want it in there. Okay. Oh, that's better. I think I can hear myself. Evening, Pete. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> oh, you can hear me this time. Fabulous. Hi, Bernie. Right, Bernie, I'm going to try again this time, mate. I think I've managed to get my mic to work, which is a blessing, I think. Welcome, Sir Joe. Thank you so much for coming. It sounds all right. Can you hear me now? Hello. I can hear you perfectly, Bernie. Super, super, super. Brilliant. It's confirmed. Perfectly loud and clear. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Right, we've got listeners coming in. Welcome again, TSCW. Don't know your real name, but thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Yo, Sir Joe. <laughs> thanks Hello, to your Pastor support, Joe. Yes. Joe, thanks to you. Yes, it is going very well so far. Thank you so much for your help again. Uh, this with my tech induction. Um <laughs> I'm just going to give listeners a couple of seconds to come back and join us, and Good then stuff. we're going to make a start, Bernie, if that's okay. So that's you can get brilliant. yourself a quick yeah. cup of tea or a digestive biscuit if you want. I'm all right, thank you. <laughs> super, super, super. Right then, okay. Looking at just what's happening, give me just one second, lovely listeners and Bernie. Just going to make sure I can navigate myself properly on this. Yay, Tom. I'm glad you can. Thank you for confirming. That's good. Hello, Tom. Someone's eating crisps. <laughs> and not sharing with us. <laughs> <laughs> right, here we go. Then we're going to make a start with the show in three, two, and one. And we're off. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome and good evening to today's The Late Show with myself, Miss Saeed. And we have the effervescent and wise Andrew Bernard with us, better known as Bernie. <laughs> and today, tonight, we'll be talking about sexual violence and sexual harassment in schools, as well as how to safeguard SEND students. So stay tuned with Teachers Talk Radio live tonight. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Right, good evening, good evening everyone and thank you so much for joining us tonight on Teachers Talk Radio on The Late Show with myself, Miss Said. As I said, we have the very wise Bernie with us tonight. I'm very lucky to have him on board because he is a very knowledgeable figure in the area of safeguarding that we're focusing on tonight. Um, I'm sure lots of you have read all the DFE guidance and the Ofsted review last year about why sexual harassment, sexual violence and sexual harassment is so very important. Um, just to share a few figures with you before we get into introducing Bernie to everybody. 90% of girls and 50% of boys reported that they had either directly or indirectly received explicit images by, via the phone, online, and what have you. 
Alongside that, 92% of girls and 74% of boys actually reported being on the receiving end of sexist, inverted commas, banter. And as Ofsted have very rightly said, the key mantra to get across to all schools is, it could happen here. Which is why we've got Bernie with us tonight to talk about this topic in more depth. So Bernie, welcome, welcome. How are you this evening, my friend? You good? Thank you very much. I'm very well indeed. Thank you very much. Fantastic, yes. fantastic. Now, obviously, you and I do message each other a lot on Twitter and DM and what have you. But could you indeed. please tell our lovely listeners a bit about you? Oh, well, where, to, where, where do I start? This is one of the things that I, I talk to young people about when I've um, I've written a book about careers called The Ladder. And I'm imagining um, a lot of the listeners will know that. And, and one of the reasons I, I've done that is because I had no idea about how to start these conversations when I was younger. I didn't appreciate kind of, you know, the length of careers and what they were like. So um, I'm going to keep this quite short. My name's Andrew Bernie Bernard. I um, have been working with young people for around about 17 years now i started my business when after 17 years again in the wrong jobs because i really messed about at school didn't really have a clear path and i drifted for a number of years i realized that what i really wanted to do was stop working at the place i was working at because it was making me miserable and actually through the support of my wife who's a counselor she's a psychological counselor who works with young people she basically said when were you last happy and, um, well, I suppose the first thing to say is it's quite difficult to answer that question when the person you love and you live with is asking you when you're truly happy, because then you have to be absolutely honest. And I said, I was silent for 10 whole minutes. And I said, three months ago when we were on that um, campsite in France and we were playing football with all those kids. And she said, I knew you were going to say that. You need to work with young people. So that's when I set up the, the, the what I do now, which is innovative enterprise, working with young people. And... Um, we started off doing business and enterprise workshops, hence the name Innovative Enterprise. We've now gone on. I speak about testicular cancer because I had that when I was 21, 22. And I thought, well, wow. it's a really important thing, I think, to, to tell boys about what's going on. And also my girlfriend at the time was the person that kind of nudged me towards going to the doctors. So I think it's important for, for everybody to know about that. So I talk about that. Um, also, um, do workshops on adoption. I was adopted as well. I found out when I was 30, 17. So again, you know, turbulent childhoods and stuff that, that didn't really help. And so, so a number of things that have happened to my life, I've kind of ended up sharing and, and kind of making into to PSHE and RSE talks. And, and that's why I talk now about the, basically the continuum of um, domestic abuse, domestic violence and coercive control, because um, I, I imagine some of your listeners will know this in 2012. I knew nothing about it until 2012 when um, we had a, a call from the police that said my, my sister had been killed. And what happened was that she had actually been murdered by her partner who she'd met a few months before, well, about 18 months before, left her family, gone to live with this guy. And um, so I made it kind of my mission to, to find out all I could about it after he was put in prison for murder for 17 years. Um, I um, left it a couple of years and then I decided, you know, this is really difficult. This is really tough stuff, but I want my sister Sarah Gosling to have a legacy. So I decided that actually I needed to know about this and I knew nothing about it before then. I, and it took until this horrific thing happened to Sarah. I was 46 when it happened. Um, and I thought, do you know what? I need to know about this and I actually need to to speak about this because it's a continuum. It doesn't start with a punch in the face. Coercive control and abuse starts with language. It starts with isolation and then it, it goes on slowly 
um, if not managed in, until, you know, this horrific experience that my, my sister had. So that's, that's kind of who I am in a nutshell, really. That's, and I'm also a director of National Careers Week, and we are the biggest free celebration of careers in the UK. So there you go. That, that's me in a nutshell. I'm also a dad. I've got two daughters, one who's 27, who is a primary teacher, and one who is a Durham graduate. And my wife is a weaver as well as a counsellor, as I'm sure you probably know. So there you go. That's me in a nutshell. Well, a big nutshell. My God, Bernie, blind me. I... <laughs> I don't know if this is unprofessional or not, but I'm on the cusp of tears right now, dude. Seriously, you've just gone up in my... Oh, wow. It, it takes a lot to render someone as chatty as me speeches, Bernie, and I, I genuinely I mean that. that. Thank you so <laughs> cheeky. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. My no work... Problem. If anything, listeners, this just, you know, cements what I said, that you really are best placed to comment on and actually speak to young people about such a pertinent, such a sensitive, and I think Sir Joe said it beautifully, such a brave topic. You know, it, it, is, it isn't for the faint-hearted, but as we all know, with safeguarding being everyone's responsibility, it is a case of having to address the elephants in the room. That is the trickiest thing about safeguarding. We have to address the topics that other people don't yeah. want to touch, touch upon because they're so contentious. I absolutely agree with that. And also it's incredibly difficult for teachers to do that because um, I've, I've been in a couple of schools uh, recently where, where well, I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit, but it, it's, it's uh -huh. a very, like a lot of subjects that are intimate in nature, that are, I don't know, quite uncomfortable. So, some of us love talking about this kind of stuff, but there are definitely, I imagine, teachers who really would shy away from this. And if you're put in a position where you have to, to talk about this and start these conversations then it's very difficult to do it can be quite harrowing so i think what it's what i see my role is is to help teachers facilitate the start of these discussions because i obviously will will go in i'll give a keynote occasionally i'll, I'll go in and talk about empathy i'll, I'll mm -hmm. give a kind of a more of a workshop session and we'll we'll work on what's acceptable behaviours and, and where on the continuum that, that we should step in possibly and stop being bystanders and, and take the lead on, on this kind of behaviour yes. as students, which is really difficult to do because obviously there, then there's a lot of, and there's an awful lot of uh, kind of peer pressure and stuff. You come up against all sorts of pushback. And I think I see my role is, is working hand in hand with teachers to say, look, yes, you've got absolutely. this tough, tough to do. I I want my set, my sister's legacy to, to be much more, much more than it could be, I suppose, and, and much more than than she's able to, to leave a legacy. So, so I see it as my role to kind of push that and say, look, here, here's what happened to Sarah. It is shocking. And mm. in my discussions with, with PSHE and RSE and, you know, pastoral with teams, I'll say, look, here, here, here's some information to send out to your to your students or, well, certainly to your tutors and also your staff, because some of the staff, statistically, some of the staff are going to live in controlling or uncomfortable or, you know, potentially domestically abusive relationships. So it's really important so to live with an abuser, if you want to put it in in a kind of much more blunt way, then I think no, yeah, it's really important that they should know. Because if they're just kind of, you know, escorting their form their form group along and then they listen to, to what I'm talking about, Sarah, and then kind of opening up that conversation, if they don't know, then they, that's really difficult for them to cope with. It could be really triggering for, for a lot of their experiences. But also, um, they have a right to know and actually a right to say, well, actually, I don't feel comfortable coming in and talking about this so i think it, it's really important and also to to allow the pastoral team to know that this is what we're going to be talking about 
And it's very likely that there's going to be, again, statistically, there are going to be children that live in houses where this goes on. And you're not necessarily always going to know about that because it may not have come up as an issue. in the I'll tell you something, Bernie, you've hit the nail on the head, though, that yes, it's always that catch-22 where when you talk about such contentious topics and such triggering topics, you are going to potentially set a child off. But at the same time as a DSL, to a certain degree, we need that because that's where the disclosures come from. And then we can do something. And yes, it is. Of course, it's beyond traumatizing for the young person. But we are skilled enough and experienced enough. And we have the resources at our fingertips to actually be there to catch them, sorry to use the cliche, when they fall and sort no, of cushion no, no. the blow and support them. So yes, it is hard and it will trigger. But at the same time, we need those. Some of the some of the most important cases I've ever resolved in my entire career as a DSL have come following on from a PSHE lesson about sexual abuse or psychological abuse, and the young person's come and said, you know what, miss, that happened to me, or even worse, it's happening to me right now. And that is heartbreaking, but at the same time, we can do something about it. So I'm not it's, saying it's, trigger it's, children, but no, it is important. No, it's, it's, a, it's a tipping point, isn't it, over which, and in fact, I, I wrote a recent blog about this. I was yes, a, you did. Yes, you I did. I was in a school just before Christmas, and I, I gave a a talk and quite often teachers will come up at the end and go that was really powerful thank you we'll be able to follow that up and um it's really good of you and you know it's really really good of you to share your sister's story it must be really difficult to do uh, but a teacher came up to me afterwards and and he was he was different to normal he said can i have you got a contact name have you got a contact email address so i can contact you i've got something on my mind and it was about lunchtime and i said well if you've got a couple of minutes now i'll talk to you and he said well a lot of things you said about control, I think my mum's got a new partner and he's whisked her off her feet. And he, he gave a number of things that I had said about the kind of continuum of, of controlling mm. relationships. And, and he said, me and my sister have talked about this. My, my brother's just gone, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. But he said that you've really made me think that a lot of what we're seeing from the outside and that I was getting a gut feel about seems to be this so he said i don't want you to do anything about it we don't really know how you can help me but i think i think i've it's kind of switched the light on so he was going to talk to his sister and kind of work out a way of of kind of trying to manage the situation to talk to to their mum because she was becoming more and more isolated so I, I think it you know that that's the good and also as you've just said that's the kind of good and the bad side of, of, yeah. of this kind of work in that it does open up lots of things and and very often i will go away and i won't know anything about it luckily he, he sent me a few messages and said i think we're, we're kind of on the way to working out what this is so it is possible. Well, that's reassuring I mean, yeah, yeah it's reassuring but i mean this is where if i go away and there's a young person that, that is having these experiences and, and they speak to you then i also know that then there's there, hopefully there are teams around that student that can help them with, with their issues and kind of help to kind of bring flag this up and, and deal with it in an appropriate manner See, that, that is actually at the crux of super effective safeguarding. It goes beyond the young person. It's the family as well. And I always say to families myself that our job is to safeguard you as well as your, your children. Because ultimately, as you said it, you said it, you said it perfectly in fairness, Bernie, if the family's going through something, it may not be the young person experiencing the sexual abuse or sexual harassment, but if they're mm. seeing it secondhand, it is impacting their mental health as well, isn't it? Oh, they'll that's be really, feeling really... it. They'll know from the yeah. moment they put the key in the door. Yeah what the atmosphere is like in the house and there are i think that figures from 2015 they may have been updated by now but 750,000 young people in the uk have experienced domestic abuse in their household so they're either mm. in the same room or in, in 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 a room in the house that it's happened in and those young people 
if they're not given the support and the kind of the insights into it, they are then potential potentially going to become abusers themselves because they don't know any different. That's the norm. Because I think that, norm, that, yeah. that's that's the kind of the, the the flag that goes up. I think for young people that thinks, oh, actually, he's he's describing what happens in my house when X Y Z are in a bad mood or things get broken and no one really knows how that happens and you know why someone goes off the deep end or you know why mum gets hurt and you know I just thought it was accidents and then they start to kind of put I mean the the, the danger is that they put the wrong thing together but also that the other danger is that if they don't hear these stories then they don't get to know that their household is in a controlling you know in controlling or an abusive environment so sorry i've rambled on a bit there no 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 i'm sorry this this is your this you're the guest this is why you're here this is exactly why you're here but again you're absolutely right that you know yes you say that they may get the wrong end of the stick per se but it's still healthy for them to question what's happening because the biggest risk we we have our children is our young people if you will and even adults in fairness if they don't know any better or they don't know any different they won't question it they'll just keep take tolerating whatever's happening thinking oh everybody's mum and dad behave like this so you know what everybody goes through what i'm going through because they yeah. haven't been told any different which is why these conversations these yeah. you know talks and these lessons are so 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 paramount within yes. the curriculum and linked to that um obviously ofsted have rightfully you know emphasize the need to raise awareness i think long time coming in fairness um i'm sure i speak on behalf of lots of dsls when i say that and lots of staff in general um they've emphasized the need to raise awareness of sexual violence sexual harassment in educational settings yeah. and to obviously address it now in your opinion in your personal opinion obviously with your vast background in this area why do you think this guidance is so so very important to the degree where as a dsl i sometimes focus more on the sexual violence, sexual harassment guidance that I do on the Keeping Children Safe in Education guidance. Why do you think it's so important? And also, off the back of that, what should we as educators take particular note of from that guidance? Wow, that's a big. That's a, that's a that's going to be a big answer. You're I welcome. Think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take your time. <laughs> I'm in the deep end, just paddling to keep up. Um, no, I, I think it, it's absolutely crucial at the moment. If you think. 20 years ago to get access to the kind of material that that young people can find or all of us can find on our phones within about two or three clicks we would have had to be 18 we would have had to pluck up the courage to go into an adult store or a private shop which were often you know painted matte black with just one you know words on it and a big grill on the front and you'd have to actually go in, you'd have to flick through a load of magazines or ask the man behind the counter what what DVDs he had that catered to these requirements. You would then have to hand over money and you would take it out. And I think, I'm speaking like like I've done this, I haven't, but I, I'm just thinking, when, when we were younger, we used to mess about around Soho in London when we were on our way to football matches and stuff. Because it was just, see, we saw it as a bit of a laugh, but I think, in order to access some of the material that used to be well behind closed doors, young people are now being able to see that it's addictive. It's designed to be addictive like gambling and it's designed and it's ever, ever more extreme. And the things that are served up by servers now and websites that carry adult material serve up ever more extreme things. So I think one of the really crucial parts of the guidance is that sexual violence could happen here because it's there's never any consent in porn it's 
I've heard some horrific things. I, I, one, one of the places I would say if you're a teacher to start and going down this kind of rabbit hole of, of abuse and particularly misogyny is to read Laura Bates's book, Men That Hate Women. Because within it, there are an awful lot of, of, of elements in there about how the adult world is seeping into childhood, but also how women are objectified. Well, we know this anyway. Women are objectified in music. They're objectified in, in you know, fashion, in glamour, but also in porn. There, there are no boundaries. There, there's um, no consent. And just the fact that we have words like rape culture in inverted commas used it rape is the most horrific crime and just that it gets thrown around is 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 truly i don't think young people understand how important a phrase it is and some of the the kind of sexual practices they'll be seeing let, let's not mess about 50 percent of, of young people under the age of 12 have seen porn and no, sorry, it's not that. It's twenty-five percent under the age of twelve, and then I think it's under under the age of fifteen. Um, that goes up to sixty percent. So, young people are. I'm surprised it's a lot higher, actually. Well, I am too, but mm. I, I I don't know how that research was done. I, it was done by, um, I think it was the Office for National Statistics that reported it, but I can't remember who did the survey. Um, but that that's that that I think if that's informing what relationships like or what intimate relationships are like, then I think it's never been more important to actually first of all talk about it for us as adults to understand it, but also then to to kind of be able to to have policies that that deal with it because I'm imagining a lot of boys that are sending intimate photos of themselves don't really they they see it as wrong probably, but they wouldn't see it oh it's not a big deal. It's a massive big deal, and it's you know there's another element of control over over your over a young woman or a, a girl by sending a photo of yourself that she has no option. She doesn't know what it is when she opens it, and she opens it up and she sees an, an intimate part of a boy's anatomy. That that's horrendous, and it it's you know it's almost become a bit of a bit of a joke. It's you know the, the, and I'm thinking, so I think it's it's vital that we've got guidance on how to deal with sexual assault because young people might not know for a start so i think that the importance of actually us thinking as you've said right at the very start it could happen here and when you have um well, when you have young people being excluded from schools um because they've sent a message to one of their friend one of their girlfriends that says your mate is very rapeable then i think it, it it's a it's a real indication that actually the adult world has seeped in and young people don't know how to cope with it and i think that that's absolutely that's one of the most important bits of the guidance um i'm not saying young people are getting all their relationship advice from porn or their kind of examples but a lot of if they're getting unfiltered access which they largely are and you know there's a there's a strange thing as a parent you don't want to intrude on your young person's privacy and you think oh well it, it it probably won't be my son or my daughter. Well, statistics say that it it could well be, and I think that, that, that there's 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 a real tough bound boundary thing that parents have to get over there. I think because we don't you don't want to go in and go right, give me your phone. But on the other side, actually, 
it might be instructive to do that. But I think, you know, I'm finding it. I'll tell you something online safety. I think Pastor Pete mentioned it earlier. It is a DSL's absolute nightmare. And it is one of our biggest yeah. issues because, as you, you said, it's so easily accessible. And even with these, you know, respective filters you can put on school servers and what have you, yeah. there's people out there who obviously have twisted agendas. I'm sorry, I'm calling a spade a spade here. And there's mm-hmm. so many ways they, they manage to sort of circumvent these filters. And the biggest one I personally find, and listeners, please, you know, feel free to call in and apply. And this is your show as much as ours and Bernie's, of course. It is teachers talk, not just Miss Sade and Bernie talk. But it's animated porn is my biggest bugbear. And the Japanese, um, I mean, by time I used anime, it's, it's yeah. awful. It's awful. And it gets through all the blocks. I think it's, I believe it's yeah. called hentai. Killer, and it just gets through. I hope I've just invited Sergio. I apologize if I haven't. Please call again, Sergio, if I haven't. Um, hang on, sorry, Bernie, bear with me. I'm still learning okay, how to fine. use the rope on here. I've invited you, um, Sergio, I have invited you. you. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, hello, Sergio. Hi, thank you for joining us. Hang on a second, just oh. my headphones. Are... I was just <laughs> getting my earphones. Um, yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to call it, oh, please, because. Because we're talking about online safety and, um, you know, that's it, being the tech nerd that I am. That's yes. <laughs> come to me for, uh, for advice on these things. And yeah, um, yes, you're brilliant. You're right. Um, you were right about um, in, in Japan, the uh, anime porn is, is called hentai. And oh, okay. yeah, I, I, I am now I just want to say I'm someone who does watch anime, but I watch like the Studio Ghibli films like Spirited I've Away and Nine Aided Totoro and things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess if but yeah, if we make that distinction, I always say if you see the word hentai run the other way as, yeah. as possibly yes. can. <laughs> Agreed. You Agreed. You don't want to go there. At all. I've seen the screenshot, um, Joe, and I had to deal with it. And yeah, you don't want to go there. You really don't. Um, you really so, don't. Yeah, I think, I think the thing with online safety is, yeah, there is always that danger of um, you've got um, filters and people, especially a lot of teenagers, actually can be. Well, some some kids are less savvy than people realize, but there are a lot of kids that are more savvy than people realize, and you find that. Um, especially if somebody learns, you know, hacking skills that they can they can bypass things like that. And so it's always a constant a constant sort of back and forth between the um those that are trying to circumvent and those that are trying to um those that are trying to protect. Yeah. Um but at at the same time, I think um the most important thing with online safety is not preventing is is not preventing someone from doing something, but it's allow- making that person understand absolutely why and how these things affect people. And the problem yeah. that I find with a lot of e safety stuff is that it's taught by teachers who aren't in there. And mm. who are not ex- uh, who aren't sort of in th- in the thick of it, whereas I I'm I'm not in the thick of it in terms of the things that Bernie talked about, but I am in the thick of it in terms of the online safety because I play video games and I'm yeah. I'm into a lot of that stuff. So when I teach you safety, it's coming from a place of I actually know what I'm talking about, 
Um, and rather than here's a curriculum, tell the yeah. kids these generic things. And I think that's the one of the most important things to get across with online safety. Thanks. No, yeah. absolutely. Thank you so so much, Joe. You're absolutely right. It is. It is about raising awareness and making sure that. And I also think that I say this to parents off the back of you said, Joe, is I say to parents that you should know. And it's a bit contentious to say this to parents, but you should try to know at least as much as your child does when it comes to how to using. Sorry, how to use online devices if they know more than you do it's going to be very hard for you to actually help safeguard your child when they're using devices at home but yes this animated uh porn if you will is a bit of a living nightmare i think and they're very lucky to have you actually joe at your school <laughs> i wish we had someone like you at our school if i'm honest <laughs> i really do um yeah um i'm just reading moomin's comment yeah there's so many different devices now yeah. on mobile yes. tablets, laptops etc yeah so you've got to have um, preventative measures on on all of these are kind of important um, as well. But um, at, at the same time, as she said, yeah, the most important thing is prevent is the early preventative work. Um, right, um, you're doing great, by the way, Miss. Thank Lee. you. Uh, but I have to go now. You've got to go to Dun Dungeons and Dragons, haven't I, you? I am, I am now playing Dungeons and Dragons, my weekly game. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm that much of a nerd, so I need to... <laughs> All right, see the world needs nerds. Absolutely. Here, here. Here, here. Absolutely, it does. Right. Um, sorry, just to what, say... what Moomin and... Yeah. Um, can I just pick no, please, up what, yeah, please, yeah. what Pete and Moomin have just said? I think it, it really does need to have that, that partnership with parents Um teachers parents schools and the kind of wider community and I, I but i think it's a really fantastically difficult conversation to have and no one would like to be the teacher that goes to a parent and said um ha have you checked your son's hard drive or you know or your you know but what i think the reason i think it, it, it's vital that schools do take on this role and i know you weren't saying that that it's, it's not important that you do is because then we can actually deliver the safeguarding message and we know that we've delivered that as part of our kind of pastoral and kind of i suppose personal development for, for those young people and it's like drinking isn't it we're not going to stop teenagers um knocking off their parents you know cans of beer and stuff and, and sneaking out to the park we're never going to stop that but what we do need to say is, look, this is what happens when you get drunk. These are the things that can happen when you get drunk. And this yes. is what happens. You know, you're much less safe around roads. You're you're liable to do these kind of things. You may get more emotional. You might get violent. You might get, you know, you might end up, you know, sparking out. There are loads of things. that, And I think it, it's really important that we say, okay, we understand that this is what you might do. And, but here's, Here's some of the here's some of the consequences of, of what you're going to do, and I think young people don't always get that from their parents. Certainly with online, certainly with regard to online safety, that most parents would think, "Oh, my kids are not accessing that kind of stuff." Um, so I think it would be very patchy the way a lot of parents will 
or speak to their young people because particularly you know if they've got siblings as well you, you're always kind of thinking well i think i've got used to what this one's doing now and then the other one does something else <laughs> yeah i think you're, you're juggling aren't you with kids and i think it's, a, it's not only a very difficult conversation to have you get that oh of course i'm not dad what are you on about and you get that kind of that pushback so i think schools are really the only place where you can have a structured everybody gets the same approach to understanding what the risks are involved in gambling in drinking in drugs in in sexual exploration and those absolutely i think that's why unfortunately it's one of these other jobs that unfortunately falls to schools because it's one of the only ways we can actually make sure that the entire young population gets to experience some of the things they need to know about for the rest of their lives I think Pastor Pete said it earlier as well, but he put it quite perfectly where he said that we're expected to be the master of many trades and juggle everything. And you're both absolutely right. We really, really are. And just off the back of that, um, the work with parents it will always be an ongoing battle. I, I defy anybody who says that they find it easy to get parental engagement, especially with regards to safeguarding, because I actually have another thing to add to that is besides parents struggling to actually engage, some parents deny it. And I've had many a time, but not in my current school, thankfully, and yet, don't jinx it yet, but in previous schools where when I've had to call them in and say, look, your daughter's actually got uh, a boyfriend, she's been exchanging, you know, she's been sexting with him online, and he's actually apparently in the Netherlands and 25 and she's 18, and they're like, no, 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 my daughter prays five times a day, you've got the wrong girl. And I have to show them screenshots, and they're still in disbelief, and they just literally will just close their eyes, you know, you know, you will see no evil. They literally yeah, will just, yeah. no, 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 you, you must be mistaken, you must be mistaken, because I'm, I'm not going to be contentious here, you know, partly cultural, mm-hmm. just societal in general. They just, just don't want to know. No, I don't want to talk about it. I don't talk about sex in front of my daughter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it is, it is always going to be, I yeah. think, a massive, massive headache that we obviously will never stop fighting. <laughs> I'm trying to do it now. We are at the time to take a quick news break, lovely listeners. So this is a quick time for you to go and get a quick coffee, go and have a quick wee, and we're going to start continue our conversation in about six-ish minutes. So here we are, weekend news for you. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News Following extensive research into the importance of the early years Oxford University has involved nearly 4,000 children from across the UK in three specially developed science lessons. 
The aim of the lessons is to educate pupils about brain development during early childhood. The SCENE project, Secondary Education Around Early Neurodevelopment, is part of a drive to increase public understanding of how early experiences can shape the adults we become. Dr Elizabeth Rapper, Senior Scientist at University of Oxford, comments on the university website, In the same way that we teach children about the risks of smoking or poor diet, Children also need to know about why experiences in our early childhood years are so important for later health. Just one in four adults recognise the importance of the first five years of life for providing lifelong health and happiness. The lessons taught the neuroscience of brain development and what that means in terms of how a child grows and develops, as well as focusing on specifics such as how a caregiver should speak to a baby to promote their language development. Schools in some regions are once again facing closure, although this time it's the weather rather than the pandemic that is to blame. ITV News reports that snow and ice led to the full or partial closure of schools across Yorkshire. The closures were largely due to staffing issues as many staff struggled to get into school after yellow weather warnings for snow and ice were issued. The cold weather also prompted an article in the Metro focusing on the temperature inside schools as many try to increase ventilation to mitigate the transmission of coronavirus. The article reminds readers that there is no minimum temperature recommended for schools in current legislation, but that schools should follow all health and safety guidance to ensure pupils and staff are kept safe. On the official government website, .gov.uk, the education hub features a story from University's Minister Michelle Donnellan. The piece entitled What I Wish I Knew About Uni Before I Started offers the Minister's top tips around topics such as UCAS deadlines, maintaining your mental health during both the application process and starting a course, and advice about funding and the Turing scheme which replaced the Erasmus scheme. The website also includes a link to the video recording of the interview. In further higher education news, the Nigerian Tribune reports on a regional conference which is investigating the impact of private universities on public universities in Africa. The event was held at Babcock University and has the support of the University of Texas at Austin and the Carnegie Corporation of New York. Professor Toyin Falola, conference leader, stated, We are studying five countries, Ghana, Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya and South Africa. The conference aims to focus on developing the knowledge economy and how it can be improved. The project intends to assess the performance of private universities and understand the impact they are having on public universities in driving up standards, increasing student recruitment and improving the range of courses on offer in all institutions. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Happy New Year! This is the first in a short series on the New Year's resolution a lot of us make and the effect tech can have on it. Can technology really help us get fit and healthy? According to the Fitness Industry Association, around 80% of people who sign up to a gym in January stop going in February. Can technology provide a free alternative? Now, before I start, I need to throw down a disclaimer here. I am assuming you already have a mobile device that is capable of running apps, therefore the cost of the device is written off, and I take no responsibility for any pain, both physical and or mental, that you will inflict on yourself. You are responsible for your own scaling and moderation. That being said, there are thousands of free fitness apps out there. 
The first barrier for teachers is time. School Week have reported one in four teachers working over 60 hours a week, so in a 12-hour day, where do you fit a workout in? If the gym's out of the question, what are the other alternatives that are time flexible? Let's start with some totally free options. YouTube is full of fitness videos and challenges from sit-ups and press-ups to squats and chin-ups. A more extreme example is X. This channel is dedicated to workouts with pro trainer Jeff Cavalier. Some claiming to make a difference in just 7 minutes a day. This may seem crazy, but 7 minutes is a lot more than nothing and adds up to more than 3 quarters of an hour per week. If you're more of a social media motivated person, how about one of the many fitness tracking apps for walking, running or cycling? Most have a free basic package and in-app purchases for additional features. If I use Strava as an example, a free basic package allows you to track your exercise, join friends, set challenges and meet people around the globe with similar interests. My only word of warning would be to ensure you consider your profile settings to keep yourself safe. Hiding the start and end of a walk, run or ride, for example, will stop your home being shown on a map. For most people pushed for time, this will be where you start and end your exercise. Also, if you exercise regularly at the same time, this could be showing the world where you're likely to be or when your house is empty. For those who want to start softly and just be a bit more active, a less intensive option may be having a step counting app. Again, there are lots of different apps out there. My example is Sweatcoin, a free app that allows you to earn Sweatcoins, a form of digital currency that can be traded in the Sweatcoin store for discount codes, vouchers, and even given to good causes. This is a simple app and can run in the background, so you don't even need to to remember to switch it on. Finally, calorie counter apps are a great way to look at what is actually going on in your body in the first place. On apps like MyFitnessPal, you can log your weight, calorie consumption, calorie output, and also have the ability to sync this with other fitness apps, so you don't need to log your exercise twice. As long as you're honest and log all of those glasses of Prosecco, not just the first, you're rewarded with detailed feedback on not only your calorie intake and output, but where those calories came from. Whatever you choose to do for the new you in the new year, why not do a bit of looking around and see what you can pick up for free first? I'll leave you with one of my favourite sayings, anyone can do nothing. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Right, thank you for listening to that. We're now back with Bernie. Ooh, I think I've got it right with the technology here. Okay, yeah. hope you've all come back now from your tea break, loo break, etc. So we're going to get right back to our conversation. Stop talking and about toilets. <laughs> I was going to invite to Silver Ijaz into... Oh, I was going to invite to Silver Ijaz into speak, but he's vanished. Hopefully he'll ask to speak again. I'll do that there. So we are talking about, for anyone who's just joined us um, now, thank you for joining us, thank of course, you. on air. Uh, sexual violence, sexual harassment in schools, um, why it's so important for us to all be really vigilant with our safeguarding practices uh, in our respective settings. And we were discussing online safety. Tasawa, welcome to the show. Can you hear me okay? Thank you so much, ma'am. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? So are you okay? Uh, I am good, ma'am. <clears throat> Um, I have some questions about you. I my English is so weak. Not so a problem. I, I can make you make perfect sense right now. Perfect Please sense. go ahead. Please go I ahead. want to. I want to speak. Um, uh, <coughs> sorry, I want to learn to English and uh, speak to uh, another person. But my communication uh, skill is very uh, very low. So how can I improve uh, this? Um, skill um i think listening to shows like ours is a good start to so if you tune to teachers talk radio we've got lots of shows on pretty much every day if you follow teachers talk radio and listen to all the shows you'll hear us speak in english and pick it up from us as well such as today's show that's a really really good start i think just expose yourself to english all the time by listening to us is that okay 
Is that all right? I don't know if we've lost Thank us over here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Right, I'm going to unmuting me sorry bear with me here everyone i'm just trying to fix the technology here okay right so back to the conversation then barney we were talking about and you, you very kindly elaborated on what you felt were the most important parts of the dfe guidance uh on round sexual violence and sexual harassment now yeah my next question was going to be, you kind of touched upon it already, but you are, for those people who don't follow Bernie, you need to check out his Twitter because honestly, you will learn something literally every single day, I promise you. Um, you are a prominent speaker, you know, in umpteen topics linked to safeguarding, PSHE, obviously careers. That'll be a different show I'll call you on to, <laughs> but you're talking about lots of different things. Um, tell me a bit more about, because even now when you were talking about your sister, I read your blog, I've bookmarked that one where you shared that thread about your, your, your beloved late sister. How do you talk, touch upon such a sensitive, such a powerful story with young people? Tell us a bit more about that because I'm fascinated to know how you, obviously you do it successfully, but how do you do it? How do you cover that sort of topic with students to get across the message, to teach them without, yeah. you know, think, making them? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's a very tough topic. And I think it, like a lot of things, I think you, you need to take it very carefully and sensitively obviously the teachers who are in the room know what i'm going to be talking about i i'm quite clear that i don't want the teachers to tell any of the students that i'll be talking about my sarah my, my sister so i do talk about um sarah gosling and I, I talk about her growing up i show a family photo of us you know she grew up with a brother she uh, tell a bit a bit about her family background what her early life was like that she uh, met a guy called Rob, got married, had a had a couple of kids, um, lived happily, ran a pub in in Norfolk, and then um, Facebook came along in two thousand and eight nine, and um, then I, I think that then what happens is Sarah starts on Facebook, she then starts a second account, and then starts chatting to people um, in the kind of motorbiking and petrolhead community. Sarah was a real petrolhead; she absolutely loved cars and motorized vehicles. As soon as she could get a car, she got one. As soon as she could get like a motorbike license at 16, she had one and got a motorbike. Sounds amazing. She was, she was a proper petrolhead and worked in a garage, so ended up going out with one of the mechanics. They, um, in, their part, in their spare time, they would kind of do up old minis, but th th their, their main job was looking after a pub. Um, and so that his parents looked after the, the children when they were growing up so, so they could be, you know, landlord and landlady. And then one night, Sarah just did what used to be called a midnight flit, um, Ian Hope came down on his motorbike, picked her up and took her away. And, and then I, I basically gently tell the story about what happened as uh, things were fine at first. They, they both had jobs and explain what he does for a living. And then um, they start arguing and they start arguing over a phone and then they start arguing over text messages. And, and then I asked the, the young people to just, just reflect on how the relationship started and then get them to think about, well, what what's underpinning that relationship and underpinning that relationship is that Sarah was kind of cheating on her husband and that they both ran away together. So the way they met was kind of underpinned by a shaky trust, if you like. So they, there isn't a lot of trust there. And then I, I, I basically talk about the escalations. I talk about a number of times that she had to go to hospital. I talked about her having support for um, from uh, women's aid in, in Newcastle, which is where they were living. And also that her, her boss understood what was going on he'd, at Sainsbury's and he'd had previous employees who'd, who'd been experienced domestic abuse at the hands of their husbands and partners. So he said, look, 
here's here's a here's a, a room in my there's a room in my flat with a lockable door here's a key to my flat if you ever need to get out oh wow that's so kind if you want me to pay your salary your money into a separate account so that you can get some so we kind of knew what happened when when women were in the situation they became slowly more powerless um but he said you know you've come in with a couple of black eyes so he 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 asked her if she could work in the office or if she could work in in the warehouse rather than on the shop floor so obviously they're very aware of what was happening and then i do talk about the, the kind of the escalation of violence, the, 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 the problems that, that were happening. And I talk about the night she died. And then at the end of it, I'll, I'll say, you know, you're probably wondering why I'm talking about her. And then I, I do reveal that she was my sister. And there's always an audible gasp at that point. And then I kind of say, look, the, the reason I'm here is because of what happened to Sarah. And I want you to understand the kind of continuum that starts with possibly derogatory language it starts with kind of making you feel small it starts with you know it, it then moves on to controlling your behavior to isolating you from friends I, I don't really like that friend of yours you always come back different and let's have find my friends on our phone so i can see where you are i want to know that you're safe i want to know that you're safe at all times have you got home yet have you you know so those kind of things that seem caring on the front but all of a sudden become very pernicious and controlling so and then i'll talk a little bit about the kind of continuums and and how they manifest themselves i talk about some of the statistics and you know i have had a couple of young men go well it happens to men as well so i i do talk absolutely I, absolutely I, but i i do it is a gendered crime and i suppose i have a vested interest in mm. in, in talking about the fact that you know 92% of defendants in domestic abuse trials are men. Mm. Now, some of their victims are also men, but the majority of them are, are heterosexual relationships. So the majority of the victims are women, um, which means, you know, 8% of people who are defendants in domestic abuse trials are women. Um, but 83% of those male defendants are previous offenders for domestic abuse and violence so there's something that isn't happening in in the criminal justice system that is keeping women safe or is stopping men going on from from reoffending. And, and i think part of it's funding because there's not support to to get violent people and controlling people to go through training programs and actually address their behavior and change their behavior um but also that, that there's not then the kind of monitoring the parole systems that allow people when they come out of prison or when they finish the sentence, for often if, if they don't get a, a jail sentence and, and the woman leaves the man, then they're, they're most vulnerable then. So it's, um, it's a very difficult topic, but I, I do back up everything I say with statistics to talk about this, this is it, you know, and then we talk about, we can talk about rape statistics, there's loads of things, and then, and then it largely depends on, where the young people want to take it so i'll talk about you know what does that mean for you and where does that start for you and it could be the music they listen to it could be the fact that they know their mates are sending dick pics or that they're you know that that, that they've been touched inappropriately on a bus or that they've touched someone inappropriately on a bus or an, in a bus stop or you know whatever it whatever it is i think it's really important to know that young people are able to lead on this with you know with their own safety in mind but that they are empowered then to go this is really bad and it's been really bad for years between two and three women a week in the uk in england and wales are killed by a partner or former partner 
sorry to interrupt you there, Bernie, yeah. but I really like the fact that you use the word empowered because Tom Rogers has just commented exactly what I was going to comment on, the fact that um, he, he says, is there a stigma for men to come forward over it? Yeah. Uh, and some men feel humiliated. And I think yeah. he's right because I, I don't want to go off to another tangent. That's another Mental health is another show in itself, but there's still this massive push to promote the mental well-being of men because they're well, still a stigma yeah. that goes beyond any cultural boundaries where yeah. it's just not seen as masculine to say, do you know what? My wife yeah. beats me up. Well, do you I know what? Actually, I was raped exactly as a homosexual man. I was raped by my husband. Correct. These sorts of things don't come forward. And you're absolutely right that these conversations yeah. need to be had. And, and yes, it is uncomfortable, but it's a case of being able to do it equally to boys and to girls. So any of them Correct. can say, well, actually, that happens to me too, but I'm a boy. Does that make me weak? No, it doesn't. Because no. sexual abuse does not know any gender or sexuality. No. Sexual I, abuse is sexual abuse. I think you're quite right. And I think it, it's one of the things that, that Tom raises is really important. And I think that that kind of manliness, that kind of, I suppose, un, I like to call it unhelpful masculinity that yes, says we should I agree with be you. strong. It's not always toxic because it's not a choice in most of us. We're, we're brought up to be you know, from from the, the day we get baby grows that say little bruiser on or, you know, kind hearted princess, you know, from, from, from those days, we're kind of imprinted with this. So I think unhelpful masculinity, it, is, it stops us being able to do that. And some of the most formative and important times in my life have been the times that I've gone, actually, I can't deal with this. Can you help me? And I think we, we do need to be able to to enable young people of you know every background to say this is a problem and i think it is a particular problem for men because we don't talk very well about things and that's the thing it's also mate, getting rid of this horrible horrid misconception that calling for help is a weakness if anything it takes an immense amount of courage to put your hand up and say Do you know what i can't cope with this anymore someone needs to help me someone needs to help me takes regardless of gender or sexuality takes a massive yeah, yeah. amount of courage to actually say that so thank you for that tom and thank you for that bernie i want to ask another question here and i've only got i've only got bernie sadly for five more minutes but after the news break i'll still be talking to you all here about safeguarding sense students but one question i wanted to ask you bernie if i may and i did see you amongst a number of other twitterers or tweets i don't know what the correct noun for us actually is this is golden right, I feel like no how oh, very day <laughs> just don't talk about uniforms pens or badges or <laughs> we'll be good to go I think if we don't talk about them right. violence elimination of violence against women is a topic yeah. that is pertinent worldwide we had the day re international day recently at yeah. the end of last obviously calendar year it's prevalent in a number of underdeveloped countries around the world i'm of southeast asian descent myself you know you look at pakistan look at india look at bangladesh you know femicide is still a massively common thing unfortunately yep mm -hmm. having a daughter is seen as a burden you know, beating up your wife is seen as an acceptable way, form of chastisement to keep her in tow. I'm, I'm simplifying a little bit here, but you get the gist mm, of where I'm going no, with no, this. No, exactly. right? yeah. Now, the UK, on, on the flip side, is one of the most highly developed countries in the world. Why do we still have this problem? Uh, a number Discuss. Of <laughs> I didn't warn you about this question. No, I think you, that's <laughs> a really good question. And, and I think you, you're absolutely right. There are a number of reasons for it. Um, I think misogyny is everywhere. Um, I think that violence against women and girls, every time it happens, although it happens between two and three times a week, it's seen as an isolated incident. I think yes. we do have, um, we also have headlines that diminish what happens. We, we, ha we have headlines that murder charge for 
woman found dead well you can't charge murder and you know nine times out of ten if you read that story it will say the man um, a man has been arrested who was known to her so i think the the way that it's talked about the, the way that it's um the way that it's reported um obviously that th there are ways around which that that you know that that, that things are uh, need to be reported for legal reasons but the policeman that murdered his lover this was just before this was in lockdown and yep yep that I was reported well. as um lover gives police officer ultimatum and that's so, sorry. It, it basically implied that because he had been having an affair with her for ten years, but because she had actually said, "I've had enough of this. I'm going to tell your wife," then then it's her fault that he killed her. You know, there's there's lots of kind of victim blaming in. Yeah, I was going to say victim, absolutely. We, yeah, we really be, there's umpteen headlines like that. Umpteen. Yeah, another one. In fact, one of the schools. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. There was there was um, a report that said Inferno Mum dies with three children. Okay, in house fire. You don't know what that means, but actually, what happens is happened is that a woman was in a house with her three children. Her previous partner had done someone over on a drug deal, and two people had come by in the middle of the night and thrown a petrol bomb through the through the house window. But there's no mention of that. It just sounds, you know, by calling her Inferno Mum, it it sounds like she's an arsonist or something. So I think. That, that's one of the reasons it, it's a hidden crime it's a kind of oh um what goes on behind closed doors it's a domestic incident i don't think the police take it seriously um it's effectively things like rape according to dame vera baird the victims commissioner she's a qc she actually spoke to me after sarah died because she's from the northeast and, and she um, was very helpful to me and she she actually said um, in 2019, that rape has been virtually decriminalised because the, the you know the conviction rate is something like three percent, and um, which is insane. It, it's which is absolutely insane. insane. And that's the reported rapes they had as well. That's exactly. the, that's the worrying part. That's the worrying well, part. And if you think about that, 51 percent of women who are abused never never tell anybody. Then you know the same is true of rape. I think because I don't think it, I don't know don't know the statistics for it, but you know women who have been raped are very unlikely to tell anybody because of the shame, because of the fact that, that the first thing is were you drunk? What were you wearing? Let's mm. give us and what's even story. worse, Bernie, what, for the what, men, what it's even frightening you lower. You know that yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's very very low. So it's and I, I don't think as a society we see it. Because of the, you know, look at the kind of puritanical way that 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 the Britain has been really that we don't talk about this, like that kind of Victorian morals, or we don't talk about what goes on behind closed doors. And I think it it it's a hidden crime. I think that that's one of the main reasons that we don't we don't talk about it very much. I speak to groups of adults, and I'll say, did you know that between two and three women a week are killed by their partner or former partner? Largely, people don't know it. And you think Sarah Everard, what happened to her at the hands of a police officer? This is going to change things. Yet. Yeah. Less than two months later, when the government had a chance to vote in regulations for people who'd been convicted of domestic abuse and violence to go on a register, they voted it down because they said Claire's law is enough. Now, Claire's law allows someone, a, a woman who meets a partner who she has a red flag about, she gets a gut feel about and says, he's, that's a bit weird. 
she can apply to the police or to the local courts to say, can I see the record of this man? Which is, you know, one stage. But then the police and courts have to feel that she has a good enough reason to do that. So that can be refused. Whereas the register would have allowed anyone anonymously to log onto um, a website to find out the, the convictions of, 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 of anyone she wanted to find out about. So I think it's, there's, that was the domestic abuse bill that, that, um, that took about three years to get through Parliament that Theresa May started. So, you know, justice moves slowly when it's a thing that people want to drag their heels on, unfortunately. So I think that, that there's a number of reasons that it, it's still prevalent here. And I think sexist attitudes, things like, you know, music that you listen to, um, attitudes. I mean, they're improving, but they're still they're still very, very skewed. There's a lot of sexism about just one look at kind of the every se everyday sexism um, Twitter feed, looking at reading e everyday sexism, reading things like um, Invisible Women by Caroline Corriado Perez. The world is not designed for women. So it's less safe for them in general. Um, and, you know, no amount of telling them to not go out at night is going to stop a man who's, who's, you know, determined to murder her. And the, the, one of the things I'd, I would like to say about society, and I am talking about quite a lot about male violence against women and girls, because I do think it underpins quite a lot of the problems that we've got in society. Male violence generally is, is a big problem. And it's something that a friend called Graham Golden and I are working on. He does a lot of work with bystanders and um, anti-violence in Scotland. And one of the things that I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. But when Sarah Everard went missing... Women were told to stay inside, to not go out after dark and to, you know, to wear bright clothes or, you know, to tell someone where, where you're going. They were telling women to do that in Yorkshire 50 years ago when Peter Sutcliffe was murdering women. So the narrative around keeping women safe hasn't changed to men, please stop killing and, and raping and murdering women. Um, it's, it's still women keep yourselves safe. And I think it's tragic. Systemic. The thing yeah. is, the people here on Earth, and thank you to all the listeners who've joined us on air, we all agree, as TSCW just said, we all agree. It's a shame that people who need to be hearing what you're saying, Bernie, and what we're discussing via the chat with our lovely listeners, the people who need to hear it aren't here, and they won't hear it. And it's just history repeating itself again and again and again. And looking at well, the other well, side of child abuse, you get so uh, many cases, yeah. like, you know, yeah. you get another case, and, oh, we've learnt our lesson this time. And then you said with Sarah Everard, then we had Sabine Nessa, Yes, yeah, Sabina Nessa. 28-year-old young teacher, yeah. the start of a career, absolute you know, beginning of a career, yeah. a life taken too soon broad daylight. for no reason. Broad, broad daylight. Yeah. And where she went going to the pub just to meet a mate. Yeah. That was so, it. So, and, and I think that that's the thing, that no amount of, of, of safety amelioration by, by women um, or children is going to stop them being abused. So um, I, th I think I want what we're talking, what I've been talking about to kind of end on a beacon of hope, if you like. And I think... The fact that we, as educators, want to open this conversation with our young people, I do want, as you, you picked up on earlier, I do want to empower them. I do want them to build on their character. I'm just writing a kind of character program at the moment, which I think doesn't necessarily kind of bang the drum on you must do this, you must do that. But here's a set of guidelines that shows what someone with good character looks like. We understand other people. We listen. We believe in equality. We think about empathy. I want people to see these empathy light bulbs and think, actually, 
that's why I should be caring about this because actually it might not happen to me, but look how bad it is when it happens to somebody else. So yes, I really yes. want to leave, leave on a kind of on, on a message of hope that actually young people, and we've, we saw it with that, the, the young people who responded to that terrible, um, you know, that kind of dragging of them, the, the kids in school uniform picture that was on. Oh, you mean laser boy. The young people <laughs> themselves that were saying, actually, we were really happy in that. We love our education. We love our school. And that is real. So I really believe that actually amongst all of this kind of fairly desperate stuff, there will be a whole cadre of young people who are willing to say, that's not right. We don't believe in this. This is wrong. I'm going to stand up for this. And I'm going to give you just a, a quick example, if I can, if I've got another minute. Um, a school I was yeah, working yeah. in there, that they, they, a boy that they're outside of school, they were in a playground, they'd been playing football, and a boy used, I mean, it's not related to sexual abuse, but a boy used the N-word about another student. Outside of school at the weekend. But on Monday, two of the, two of the boys that were there that heard him say it went into school and said this is what this boy said at the weekend and we we thought you should know about it and the school were able to deal with it to open it up to give the boy a short exclusion period but actually to say this is not acceptable and as you know john amici says the standard we accept is the worst behavior we tolerate so i think our tolerance of of behaviors needs needs to change possibly our alertness needs to be higher and yes we absolutely need to, we need to be the bystanding friend that we need ourselves to help us overcome some of the things as young people that we're being that the positions we're being put in because a lot of them cannot win a lot of them cannot win with how they respond to this kind of behavior particularly you know if someone asks you for nudes if you don't you know give a boy a nude then you are a prick tease or whatever sorry to use that language um if you do then your photo gets shared everywhere and you're immediately a slag so it's it's so there are, there are certain situations that you can't win in unless you go this is wrong i'm going to ride this out i know this is wrong and this is how i need to deal with it and that could be by talking to a parent talking to a pastoral leader talking to someone they trust at school and saying this needs to stop here and i think it takes a lot of bravery to do that but i really do believe that we've got young people that are willing to learn and actually to to hold that up and say this isn't right because young people let's not forget have a really really strong sense of justice absolutely absolutely and thank you so so much bernie you have actually given us a bit more time than you were going to get with you so thank you so much for staying now the show is not over people just bernie's got to go now unfortunately what we're going to do is go into a, a quick ad and news break and then we come back i'll be talking to you with my lovely dulcet tones or trying to at least about how to safeguard send students so bernie thank you so so much for your time and your input it's been absolutely lovely to have you on air with us so enjoy the rest of your evening yeah, but lovely listeners welcome. stay tuned and have a quick break so go and get another cup of tea or go to the loo again quickly <laughs> and then i'll see you back on the end of our ad break thank you so Don't much Bernie. To wash your hands <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you Bernie. thank you sarah bye. bye are you looking to take your phonics practice forward then little wondle letters and sounds revised is the program for you created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram 
or join a free briefing by visiting littlewonderlettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Following extensive research into the importance of the early years, Oxford University has involved nearly 4,000 children from across the UK in three specially developed science lessons. The aim of the lessons is to educate pupils about brain development during early childhood. The SCENE project, Secondary Education Around Early Neurodevelopment, is part of a drive to increase public understanding of how early experiences can shape the adults we become. Dr Elizabeth Rapper, Senior Scientist at University of Oxford, comments on the university website, in the same way that we teach children about the risks of smoking or poor diet, Children also need to know about why experiences in our early childhood years are so important for later health. Just one in four adults recognise the importance of the first five years of life for providing lifelong health and happiness. The lessons taught the neuroscience of brain development and what that means in terms of how a child grows and develops, as well as focusing on specifics such as how a caregiver should speak to a baby to promote their language development. Schools in some regions are once again facing closure, although this time it's the weather rather than the pandemic that is to blame. ITV News reports that snow and ice led to the full or partial closure of schools across Yorkshire. The closures were largely due to staffing issues as many staff struggled to get into school after yellow weather warnings for snow and ice were issued. The cold weather also prompted an article in the Metro focusing on the temperature inside schools as many try to increase ventilation to mitigate the transmission of coronavirus. The article reminds readers that there is no minimum temperature recommended for schools in current legislation, but that schools should follow all health and safety guidance to ensure pupils and staff are kept safe. On the official government website, .gov.uk, the education Hub features a story from University's Minister Michelle Donnellan. The piece, entitled What I Wish I Knew About Uni Before I Started, offers the Minister's top tips around topics such as UCAS deadlines, maintaining your mental health during both the application process and starting a course, and advice about funding and the Turing scheme, which replaced the Erasmus scheme. The website also includes a link to the video recording of the interview. In further higher education news, the Nigerian Tribune reports on a regional conference which is investigating the impact of private universities on public universities in Africa. The event was held at Babcock University and has the support of the University of Texas at Austin and the Carnegie Corporation of New York. Professor Toyin Falola, conference leader, stated, We are studying five countries, Ghana, Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya and South Africa. The conference aims to focus on developing the knowledge economy and how it can be improved. 
The project intends to assess the performance of private universities and understand the impact they are having on public universities in driving up standards, increasing student recruitment and improving the range of courses on offer in all institutions. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Happy New Year! This is the first in a short series on the New Year's resolution a lot of us make and the effect tech can have on it. Can technology really help us get fit and healthy? According to the Fitness Industry Association, around 80% of people who sign up to a gym in January stop going in February. Can technology provide a free alternative? Now before I start, I need to throw down a disclaimer here. I am assuming you already have a mobile device that is capable of running apps, therefore the cost of the device is written off, and I take no responsibility for any pain, both physical and or mental that you will inflict on yourself. You are responsible for your own scaling and moderation. That being said, there are thousands of free fitness apps out there. The first barrier for teachers is time. School Week have reported one in four teachers working over 60 hours a week, so in a 12-hour day, where do you fit a workout in? If the gym's out of the question, what are the other alternatives that are time flexible? Let's start with some totally free options. YouTube is full of fitness videos and challenges from sit-ups and press-ups to squats and chin-ups. A more extreme example is Athlean X. This channel is dedicated to workouts with pro trainer Jeff Cavalier. Some claim it to make a difference in just seven minutes a day. This may seem crazy, but seven minutes is a lot more than nothing and adds up to more than three quarters of an hour per week. If you're more of a social media motivated person, how about one of the many fitness tracking apps for walking, running or cycling? Most have a free basic package and in-app purchases for additional features. If I use Strava as an example, a free basic package allows you to track your exercise, join friends, set challenges and meet people around the globe with similar interests. My only word of warning would be to ensure you consider your profile settings to keep yourself safe. Hiding the start and end of a walk, run or ride, for example, will stop your home being shown on a map. For most people pushed for time, this will be where you start and end your exercise. Also, if you exercise regularly at the same time, this could be showing the world where you're likely to be or when your house is empty. For those who want to start softly and just be a bit more active, a less intensive option may be having a step counting app. Again, there are lots of different apps out there. My example is Sweatcoin, a free app that allows you to earn Sweatcoins, a form of digital currency that can be traded in the Sweatcoin store for discount codes, vouchers, and even given to good causes. This is a simple app and can run in the background, so you don't even need to remember to switch it on. Finally, calorie counter apps are a great way to look at what is actually going on in your body in the first place. On apps like MyFitnessPal, you can log your weight, calorie consumption, calorie output, and also have the ability to sync this with other fitness apps, so you don't need to log your exercise twice. As long as you're honest and log all of those glasses of Prosecco, not just the first, you're rewarded with detailed feedback on not only your calorie intake and output, but where those calories came from. Whatever you choose to do for the new you in the new year, why not do a bit of looking around and see what you can pick up for free first? I'll leave you with one of my favourite sayings, anyone can do nothing. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Righty, how then? Back to just little old me, so please feel free to pop in the chat or come on and speak with me if you so wish to do so. What we're going to talk about just for a few minutes before the show finishes is the really, really sort of difficult element of safeguarding. And I can say this, and Khalil, I know he's also a DSL with this, can vouch for this. Safeguarding is a very tricky job as it stands anyway. Safeguarding sense students is trebly challenging. And there's a number of reasons why. First and foremost, they are more vulnerable because of the learning needs they actually have. And sometimes what happens is when you've got a child who isn't send, 
and they're experiencing abuse of some description, for example, hypothetical example, they may have a slight change in character. They might suddenly become more curt. They might become quieter. They might become louder. They might become more aggressive. And teachers know them well. Educators know them well. will say, do you know what? So-and-so's out of character now because she's becoming more aggressive than before. And they can spot the telltale signs to kind of identify the fact that there might be a safeguarding concern. Now, if you've got a child who is, for example, autistic, being curt, being quieter might just be something that is a sort of trait of being autistic. So it won't necessarily raise alarm or cause alarm. And that is a problem in itself because someone might misunderstand it as, oh, no, she's just being like that because she's autistic. Nothing's wrong. And they might actually miss a massive, massive cue. Similarly, you've got a child who's got autism again. We're going to stick with that scent for now if I keep the same example going. Autism comes under the category of communication interaction in terms of what SEND category actually is. If a young person struggles to communicate, they struggle to communicate most things, and that would include abuse. They may recognize something's wrong. They may recognize that, you know what, I don't like the way so-and-so touches me when I go home. I don't like the way so-and-so talks to me when I get home. I don't think this is fair that I have to eat my food off the floor, but they don't know how to articulate it. And because they're still quiet, in the way they present themselves, people might miss the cue to actually pick them up and ask them, is something the matter with you? Linked to this, again, if you've got a child who's got, just to go to the end of the spectrum here, now pardon the pun, someone who might have global developmental delay. And this is something that a lot of parents to me have said to me in my, uh, you know, many years, <laughs> too many to mention, uh, as a Senko. Children who have cognitive barriers to their learning Sometimes, for example, they'll be below their chronological age in terms of their understanding of situations, their knowledge of situations. So you might have a student who's, and I'm being very blunt here because, again, DSLs always address the elephants in the room. 15-year-old girl, well-developed, you know, got her curves and everything, looks like a beautiful young woman. But mentally, and in terms of mental capacity, she's about six years of age. Yeah, you can see the problem already here, the challenge already here. She looks like a woman, but can't think like one. And that's not a criticism of her at all at all so she won't realize something is wrong these are massive massive issues that we have to face and we have to acknowledge and we have to address as practitioners in the academy in, in the any sorry setting we work in because safeguarding akin to special needs is everyone's responsibility you look up the send code of practice one of the first thing it says is everybody who works with a child regardless of post from cleaner to caretaker to admin staff to teaching assistant to head of year to deputy head to head teacher to governor everybody has a responsibility to support send learners and similarly if you know the keeping children safe and education guidance inside out whether you're a dsl or not you should have read part of it at least everyone has a role to play in keeping our young people safe so the very first thing I always say to anyone who asks for advice in terms of how do we safeguard SEND students, because they, to a certain degree, cannot, unfortunately, safeguard themselves. There has to be a culture of safeguarding embedded in the respective setting that you work in. Everybody has to be equally vigilant. Everybody has to be equally invested in the best interests of the young people that they are actually there to serve and look after and hold local apprentice for. And this one is also interesting because for me, it it's quite seems narcissistic. The DSL and the Senko need to work as closely together as physically possible. Now, for me, it's a bit odd because I am the DSL and I'm also the Senko. So working with myself does have its pros, I suppose, because I can work in sync with myself, I'd like to think. But the cons are I don't have a second person to bounce off. 
But the send, Senko and the DSL need to work very closely together because if a send learner ends up getting a child protection case, for example, or becomes a child in need, yes, the DSL has to be the key person, but the Senko has to be involved because they're better skilled to be able to advocate for the send learner because they'll know that send learner's needs in more depth. And they can also buy in um, external specialists who actually know the young person too. So if I've got, again, I'll stick with the autistic person, I've got somebody from the communication autism team, they're going to come in and be an advocate for that young person too. Um, and the last thing I'm going to leave you with here before I wrap up the show is age appropriateness. Now, this could be a whole show in itself when it comes to sex education and what have you. I always have this catch-22 situation where colleagues say to me, well, what do we do, you know, because I don't want to not tell so-and-so about, you know, sexual awareness and what have you, but at the same time, cognitively, they're not ready for it, so I don't want to overwhelm them by talking about rape and what have you. What do we do? It's all about age appropriateness. It's all about age appropriateness. For example, I'm being a bit crude here, rather than talk about rape and use the word rape itself, Look at something which links, which is intrinsic to it. Look at unhealthy and healthy relationships. Look at consent. Look at permission instead, because it links to a similar line towards rape. Yeah. Rather than looking at, you know, groping, for example, to again be very blunt here, look at emotions and look at relationships in tandem with that. So if someone does something to me, how does it make me feel? If my friend does this to me, how does it make me feel? Use lots of visuals. It's all about age appropriateness. We don't want to not have to give them access to, you know, the safeguarding curriculum, but we've got to make it age appropriate to make sure, one, we don't overwhelm them, and two, it actually helps them safeguard themselves. And what I, I want to end with in terms of how do we safeguard send students more effectively in any respective setting, it's all about preventative being preventative and being preemptive. And I always give this example to my staff and students, and it isn't me trying to give them, you know, a, a lecture on Islam or Christianity, but I always give the example of Noah. It wasn't raining when he built the ark, right? He built it in advance because he was prepared. And that's exactly what an effective uh, setting should have in place, a preventative and preemptive, uh, preemptive culture whereby we preempt something going wrong and we prevent it in the first place. We want to do that rather than it escalates and then things get really, really out of hand. So in a nutshell, it's all about building relationships, working together collaboratively for the best interests of our learners, of our young people, with their families, with external agents, with all staff at any respective level, and making sure that we do address the elephant in the room at every given occasion. Because if we don't, we, we risk you know, misinterpretation, misunderstanding, at dangerous levels, which could compromise the safety of the young people placed in our care. Now, I'm going to end the show here and say thank you so much to all of our listeners who've tuned in. I hope you found the show useful and I hope you do tune in again because I'm going to be back this time next week with Mr. Stammer talking about all things SEND and also because he was Nason's SEND Teacher of the Year, what it takes to become a SEND Teacher of the Year. But also please do tune back in tomorrow because we've got a lot of amazing shows lined up for you. Starting with 9am, we've got Jaya Hiran Nandini with her breakfast show. We've then got The Voice, Graham Colombo. He's the fancy man who does all the voiceovers. He's doing his Sunday brunch at 11 o'clock. We've then got, I believe, one of our lovely listeners here, Khalil, my brother from another mother, as I like to call him. We've got a Destiny's Child Bond. He knows what I mean. 1 p.m. He's on with his Sunday lunch show, followed by Dr. Harin Otieno. I hope I've said that right, Dr. Otieno, who's going to be on at 3 p.m. with the afternoon show, and then the lovely and effervescent Kaylee Clark with her Twilight show at 5 p.m. So thank you so, so much for listening. Um, stay safe. 
stay happy, stay blessed. And on that note, I wish you a lovely evening, everyone. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.